every generation there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. to Conversations with Dead People, a post-mortem podcast on the works of Joss Whedon. My name is Paul, I'm your host, and I'm typically joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia as we make our way through the critically acclaimed series Buffy the Vampire Slayer and its spin-off series Angel. Back with me this time is James Rocha, Assistant Professor of Philosophy at Fresno State and co-author, along with his wife Dr. Mona Rocha, of Joss Whedon, Anarchist, A Unified Theory of the Films and Television Series, Thank you so much for being back, James. How's it going? Uh, I'm so happy to be back, Paul. Um, it's going great. I just wanted to mention before we got started that uh, all views are my own, and I don't represent my university, so if I say something controversial about shipping Spike and Buffy, that's my <laughs> own view. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I think I think maybe the last time you were on, we had this conversation, and I said, man, I really wish I could... Uh, I really wish I could blame my controversial opinions on someone else or whatever, but that's not really how it works. So, exactly. At any rate, um, I I suspect I will probably draw all the controversial <laughs> ire uh, over the course of this episode. I'll try and draw the fire away from you, man. Oh, great. Uh, but uh, anyways, it's great to have you back. Uh, as listeners probably know, and and uh, you may not know I, I i don't know but uh it's been this is only my second episode back from a very long unplanned hiatus from the podcast so i'm still shaking off the cobwebs and trying to get back in the rhythm of things so forgive me if i stumble i mean i've been stumbling every episode since the beginning so nothing new <laughs> but anyways that's my disclaimer uh all right, let me throw the uh, dreaded spoiler warning out here, and we can dive right in because uh, we're covering three episodes this time, so we need to we need to keep our wits about us. If you're new to the podcast, uh, Conversations with Dead People is not a typical rewatch and review show. Uh, we're going to be exploring the plots, characters, and themes of each episode in depth and within the context of the series as a whole. That means spoilers and a lot of them. So if somehow you're listening to this but haven't watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the Series already all the way through at least once, do yourself a favor, push us aside, go watch both of these fantastic shows, and you can come back to us whenever you're ready. Um, and while they do that, James, if you're ready, let's get, let's go to work. All right. I'm excited to get ready. I mean, to get right. going, <laughs> yeah. uh, get ready. Yeah, we can get ready. We can take a, here, let's catch our breath. Um, so like I said, three episodes this time, we're covering 608 Tabula Rasa, 609 Smashed and 610 Wrecked. And this is quite the sweep of episodes <laughs> to talk about. So let's start with Tabula Rasa. Uh, James, how do you feel about Tabula Rasa? So I know in, in your <clears throat> sorry, 
in your last episode on Once More with Feeling, there you and Arlo were disagreeing a bit, I think, on whether you like season six. I think he likes it more than you do. Yeah, mo- most people tend to like it more than I do, but yeah. <laughs> so I like it. I, I think it's 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 a little bit dark, and I think that it's dealing with heavy issues. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like it's coming from a place... I like it better than season five, and I think season five has great episodes, season six has great episodes, but I think season six is coming from a place where there's a lot of heaviness to deal with. Buffy died, and then we then we find out that after she died, she went to heaven, and then they pulled her back from heaven, and so there's a lot of heavy stuff going on in here, and I think these episodes, along with... Um, especially the episodes that follow immediately after them are kind of dealing with how do you respond to trauma and everybody responds in different ways. And I think especially in the episodes we're dealing with, they're all responding to trauma poorly. Yeah. Except for maybe Tara, but I think all the rest, they're responding to trauma poorly and they have to go through all this to get to a place that's better. And so I, I like I like how they're struggling with this. And I, I think I also like that the big bad for most of season six is kind of silly. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so on the one hand, I think um, the, the show Supernatural, I think it runs into trouble in part because they they got to big bads that were so bad that they couldn't get better and they kept trying to get better right so you know they they dealt with lucifer and then you know they get to to god's sister who's as powerful as god and then they have to keep going on and 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 in a way we just had a god as the big bad in season five and so now season six buffy is kind of like let's have a silly big bad but let's have them deal with some dark stuff in their own personal lives and so you get this kind of like this time to really deal with real issues through the TV show while also having a silly big bad in the background with, with Warren and, and Jonathan and Andrew to kind of have the, a lighter side so that they can deal with themselves, which is much more important for them right now. So, yeah, I, th- I think I've said in the past, and I'll have more to say on this uh, when we get to further down our list here, but uh, I think I've said in the past that most of my... Most of my issues with season six, which hopefully can be dealt with on this rewatch for me, but in my memories, my issues with season six come from a lot of meta stuff, <laughs> had less to do with the, the season itself, really, and the stories that were told, and more to do with the way the stories were told and some of the behind the scenes <laughs> commentary that was being made by the creators, um, and also a certain spectrum of the fandom that I didn't get along with, but um, that makes sense. It's certainly, I certainly don't fault the season for being dark, which I know a lot of people, a lot of people that complain about season six complain that it's dark. Um, I, I would argue that the series has always been, has always had a darkness, certainly. But um, yeah, season six is definitely dark, but that's not my problem with it. I love dark television shows. <laughs> um, and I also appreciate the fact that well, I love the way you said it, that season five, we had a God and season six, I would describe it as they don't try to go bigger. They, they, they get smaller. They, they, you know, become introspective and the big bad, like the, the nerd trio 
isn't even really the big bad. I mean, they're there to sort of be the fake big bad, but the real big bad is the stuff going on inside all our characters' heads. Yes, and I think the um, the thing that Buffy does, Buffy the, the the show does really well, and sometimes I think people like it more than they they like other things. It it's it's always been metaphorical, you know. It's it started out with we're going to have vampires and monsters, but we're really talking about high school. And at this point, we're talking about villains, but we're really dealing with trauma. And we're dealing with real life problems. And I think what maybe some people have a harder time with is it's starting to get real. And it's starting to touch on lives in a way that we're seeing characters, especially right here in these episodes, we're seeing characters break down, not because there's a monster out there. They're breaking down because they can't deal with their own inner problems. And I think that's that's what makes it fascinating in a way. And, and and dark in a different way than, than just a monster coming at them. So so I really like that right now. Yeah. Well, how do you think Tabula Rasa follows Once More With Feeling? So Once More With Feeling was a big event episode um, that had uh, a, a fantastic gimmick, in air quotes, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. To, to play off of. And Tabula Rasa is almost another gimmick episode i mean the the monster of the week of this episode is is again something dumb that one of our characters has done to themselves but um but it's almost another sort of gimmicky one so in in once more with feeling everyone was singing and dancing their innermost darkest secrets and fears or whatever and here all of that is wiped away literally and we get uh a comedy of errors where we throw the characters together as if none of that had ever happened and they don't have any of that painful history with each other. And and I, I really like this. And, and like you said, it's, it's a slightly, it's, it's also a gimmick. And I think it's a gimmick that is needed to get us into this next episode because once more with feeling is both, it's both super Dark in the sense we were just talking about, in the sense that it's touching on real-life problems. They're really struggling. They're having a hard time dealing with the issues in their lives. But also, it's not at all dark because it's a it's a musical. And, yeah. and so this episode's doing the same thing. It would have been very hard to do this episode without some kind of gimmick because there needs to be a transition from things are getting really dark, things are getting really emotional – Things are getting traumatic. We need something to lighten the mood while also moving them to a different place. Yeah. And so I feel like you like like in a way it's it's brilliant and and necessary to have a, a like a lighter gimmick following that gimmick, so that we're 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 transitioning slowly from big gimmick that really worked well to smaller gimmick, and and. That I think I think that Tabula Rasa does work well, and I think I think it works well because it's almost like a stage of dealing with trauma, where the first thing you try or want to try in in our cases we can't do this exactly like this, but the first thing you want to try is to just pretend it never happened, yeah. right? And, and Willow, being as powerful as she is, she can make it all never happen, and of course. 
that's an attempt to deal with it. It's a bad attempt to deal with it, but it's an attempt. And so this episode's kind of representing if your life was really this messed up and you had super magical powers, could you just erase it all? And and why wouldn't you? The temptation would be so great. I mean, yeah, to <laughs> to take up for Willow at a time when she really kind of needs somebody to take up for her. <laughs> uh, it, it is a stupid mistake that she makes. Um, it's very ill-advised, but she wasn't trying to wipe everybody's memory. She was specifically trying to... This is her response, I think... Um, even without the Terra stuff, I think what she's trying to do here is um, help Buffy forget that she was, you know, in a that she got pulled out of heaven, basically, which, I mean, that's iffy. That's a questionable thing <laughs> in the first place. But, like, her goal is only to do this to uh, Buffy and Terra, which, yeah, I shouldn't take up for Willow, because that's not, that's un <laughs> unforgivable. But she wasn't trying to, um, I read a review the other day where the they the writer mischaracterized it and said that Willow um, was trying to wipe everybody's memories of what happened in Once More with Feeling. And that's not what she was doing. So it's a, it's a mistake that TV writers make that sometimes it fits within their writing goals. They need to move to a certain point. They need tension. And so if you have a really smart character who's going to solve the problem they're faced with in the first five minutes, you, you have a, you have a seven minute episode. So, so <laughs> There is this this tendency of TV writers to sometimes give us smart characters doing stupid things to make the episodes work better. And I don't think that's happening here at all. Willow's clearly doing something that we don't like and we don't want to see Willow do it. But it's also something that fits with when you're really traumatized by events and you see your friends traumatized by events, you just wish you could take that away from them. And you, it's just, you know, it's one of those, it's a natural human feeling. I wish I could take your pain from you. And Willow sees Buffy struggling. She sees Tara struggling and she sees a lot of people struggling. And, and so that's natural to want to do that. And she has the power to do that. And so it's one of those, I don't think this is a smart character doing something stupid. I think this is a powerful character doing what we wish we could do if we weren't thinking hard enough about the consequences. So they've, uh, one of the things I've really been paying attention to on this rewatch of Buffy is how how well they position Willow, like how well Willow gradually makes this transition. Watching the show, knowing where things are going, mm -hmm. you can pay attention and see how the Willow of season one led to the Willow of season three, led to the Willow of season six or whatever. Like, um, and it, I, I may disagree with some of the ways stuff plays out, particularly right around this time right right mm. about where we are now but um i don't think that this is a case like willow what willow's doing with using the magic the way she is particularly given how much pain it's already caused um is is a dumb thing but it's not an unrealistically dumb thing it's not yes it's not out of character for willow it's it's perfectly believable that the person she is at this point would continue making these mistakes um Nikki uh, Stafford in in her book Bite Me the unofficial guide to Buffy the Vampire Slayer she um she makes a very convincing if i don't uh, maybe a tad too forgiving i don't know argument for why willow 
uh, at this point is so dependent on magic, like in her day-to-day life. And she talks about how, um, you know, Willow started out as the, as the nerdy bookish wallflower uh, who was very shy and, and unsure of herself. And she gradually carved out an identity as sort of the computer, the, the hacker, the computer nerd of the group or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then she discovered a propensity for magic and, uh, she she has grown into that and then she found the love of her life who is another former wallflower who's you know also found an identity with magic and and i i don't know she nikki laid it out very very realistically on how at this point willow is confused about why magic is a bad thing i guess and there there is a debate to be had i suppose about how uh, how clumsy the transition is from season five where Willow Dawn would literally be dead. Most of them would literally be dead if Willow hadn't been so good at magic Yeah. Uh, in season five uh, to now all of a sudden Willow's using too much magic. Um, but the, the character traits that were laid early for Willow, I think it leads convincingly to who she is here. And, and I don't know myself, maybe you have a better idea of me, whether this idea of magic as an addiction, I, I wonder how much it predates Buffy. I know there's shows now like The Magicians mm -hmm. it, where magic is an addiction. And I feel like, I mean, it's it's it feels very right to me. And I feel like if I had magical powers, I'd be a mess. I, I'd be using those magical powers every day. Like I would never clean my house again without magic. <laughs> um, I, I was such an avid reader when I was younger. I feel like I should be able to answer this, but I, I don't, um, I'm not sure how common this theme was before Buffy. I feel like it, I feel like it was out there. I want to try and tie this together with Tom Bombadil from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Like, I don't know if, if there's an argument to be made that Tom Bombadil was the, the stoner magic user that uh, Tolkien gave us. I might be reaching there, but uh, anyways, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, again, one of the, we need to, we need to actually talk about this episode, but uh, as we get, as we move along, I'm going to complain about the magic as drug metaphor. Um, and it's not the metaphor itself that I don't like. It's the heavy handed way it's it's used. Well, I think, I think there's, there's a real question. And I think maybe, I think, I, I hope we discuss it more because I, I'm, I'm very interested in the question of how are they showing it to be a problem? Right. So it, one of the scenes in, in, in tabula rasa, when she agrees not to use magic for a week. And then of course the first thing she does is as soon as um, I think it was Tara and, and Xander walk out the house, she closes the door. And the first thing she does before she does this memory spell, she immediately changes her clothes with magic. Yeah. And, and there's, there's part of the question is, is the show doing a good job of showing why this is bad? And I think we'll get into this a lot more when we talk about um, wrecked. And when we talk about rack in particular, but before then, I think there is something to the idea that she's becoming overly reliant on magic 
and maybe losing her connections to people in an well, important way. There's, I think one of the scenes, obviously the, the problem that it's caused is that she's now very cavalier about meddling with people's minds. Um, yes. And that's, so that's the big problem. But yeah, on a, on a, just a simple sort of day to day thing. I think one of the most effective scenes in this batch of episodes is when I think it might be in smashed or wrecked. I don't know. But after Willow comes back from partying with Amy and uh, she, you know, falls down in bed and wants to pass out, but the curtains are open and she tries to magic the curtains closed and she's drained herself. She, so she can't even do that. And there's the, the, <laughs> exhaust the scene of exhausted confused pained willow having to get out of bed and walk across the room to manually close the curtains that is such a simple thing but you know props to allison hannigan the way she delivers it it makes it i don't know that scene just very vividly brought home to me the fact that uh she's become reliant on magic for even the stupidest most simple things yeah now i'm thinking about going going back to to what would my life be like if i had magical powers I'm not cleaning my house anymore. I'm not cleaning my car, right? I'm going to do and like I wouldn't I would I would change clothes with magic in part because I'm not buying any more clothes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I'm thinking one thing that's going to be a consequence is I'll start feeling like I don't need other people. I'll start feeling like I can do everything myself and I'll lose that attachment to people and how we help each other. And I do think that will that's sending Willow down a dark place where she thinks she can do it all by herself. Even the smallest, even thinking you can do the smallest things by yourself starts severing that ties to other people. And once she's severing those ties to other people, then she's no longer one of the, the Scoobies in a certain sense, but also she doesn't see why she shouldn't manipulate other people. And, and, and so that darkness starts to creep into her. So, so I, I think there's something, I think they're doing something really interesting here. And I like how it's developing, especially in tabula rasa. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's talk. Let, so <laughs> one of the important things tabula rasa does aside from just obviously moving the, the deeper character plots forward is it's a humorous break after a very, very, so I said this in the once more with feeling episode where I, I talked about the shocking realization that we as fans think of the songs and dances from once more with feeling as a, as a joyful thing. We're always so giddy whenever we get to do a sing along or, or whatever. Yes. When, uh, but in the context of the show, none of that was happy. None of that was, <laughs> none of that was yeah. good. All those songs were revealing painful truths and secrets. And uh, so it was really a very dark episode and ended in a, in a bleak place. Yes. Um, and so tabula rasa gives us more bleakness, obviously, but it also is a, <laughs> is a comedy break uh, to take us into the next <laughs> series of bleak episodes. Um, so in terms of comedy, this is uh, written by Rebecca Rand Kirshner. And um, I think that she has a pretty good uh, comedic voice. I mean, she's um, I'm trying to, I don't remember off the top of my head what else she's written, but in my mind, I think of her as um, along the lines of like uh, Jane Espenson or whatever, someone who's pretty good at handling the, inter-character comedic stuff and she's done some work on freaks and geeks which was a great show and she also did some work on gilmore girls okay yeah um so how'd the comedy of this work for you i i should say i should start off by saying that uh i very 
unoriginally and you could say unhumorously <laughs> um, <laughs> tend to refer to this as the jump the shark episode for <laughs> very stupid, obvious <laughs> reasons. Um, but also just in my mind, I look back on season six and think of this as kind of the point where uh, I don't enjoy things after this. Um, and it just so happens that it features a shark, a, a, a land shark. So I call it the jump the shark episode, but. Um, and I, I kind of wonder, I, I, I wonder how purposely this is done, but it kind of fits with the idea of the villains are, are kind of silly, mm -hmm. but that allows us to focus a lot more on, on the real life dra drama and, and, and what they're, facing inside more than than fighting the silly land shark uh. <laughs> it's also the land shark who i guess his name is teeth i don't he's never called that in the episode but i think in various books i've seen that the character is known as teeth maybe yes. i don't know but um this episode also gives us at least two that i'm aware of uh restless callbacks um, and the shark is one of them because in Restless, in I think it was Xander's, yeah, it was Xander's dream. Um, he, there's the playground scene where he and Giles, where Spike and Giles are on the swing set or whatever. And uh, Xander makes a comment there about how uh, he's like a shark, but with feet and much less fins. And then Spike says, yes, and on land. So I just, I, that seems like this is, I feel like as the show progresses, they're, they just occasionally look back at Restless and say, what's a random thing <laughs> that we could just pull in? And, and this was one. They're like, well, why not have the lone shark actually be a shark? And we could call back to Restless. And, and, and the kittens thing is a little silly. And <laughs> the kittens thing. Man, I do not approve of kitten poker. I'm just I'm making a, I'm, I'm taking a stand right now. They can kill and eat all the humans they want and I won't bat an eye, but leave the kittens alone, man. You are the one being controversial in this episode. <laughs> uh, I think the best humor in this episode is between Giles and Spike. The, the, them thinking that they're related and, and trying to process that had me laughing out loud. Uh, yeah, that's the other rest, restless callback to that same playground scene because uh, Spike was, I don't think... I don't think it was the exact same goofy outfit he's wearing here, but he was wearing like a, a suit and tie. And uh, Giles says, he's like a son to me. <laughs> and and in, in a way that there's a, there's a silliness to a silliness that I appreciate. And I laugh out loud about spike having moments of self-discovery, but, but also that's hinting to the idea that this is all about self-discovery. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Spike realizing he's British is hilarious, <laughs> but but even better when Spike realizes he's a vampire, but then starts to deduce that he's a vampire with a soul. I must be a which... noble vampire, a good guy on a mission of redemption. I help the helpless. I'm a vampire with a soul. Oh, it's gold. <laughs> and Buffy responds, how lame is that? Yeah, yeah. So so that those, those are really funny scenes, of course, but they're also, you know, and and. And of course, at this point, we, you know, in case there's any listeners who who forgot that, like Spike does not have a soul at this point, right? And of course, he later will, but but uh, but also, this is connecting to a much bigger theme, and a theme I hope we talk about more as as we go about all, all these characters are going through self discovery. Spike's self discovery, to me as a moral philosopher, is one of the most interesting. 
because he does not have a soul. He's been forced to do good things. And there's part of him that's becoming good, but he's still kind of evil. I mean, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's it's in the next episode smashed where we're going to really get to talk about one of the big spike controversies the first of the big spike controversies of this yes. season i think but um so all right let me see here what other what other significant Oops. comedy but actually real stuff did we get here <laughs> um giles decision to go back to england let's talk about that um that, that's so important it is very and important but i i I remember on my first viewing of this way back when, when it first aired, um, I was already frustrated by various things. So I was, I was watching this through angry filters, but I remember <laughs> thinking, um, well, actually Anya kind of says it here when he says, I'm going, you know, I'm, I'm leaving. I've decided to return to England. And she says again, for real this time, that was kind of my feeling at the time. I was like, you just, you just teased us with this not long ago and now it's going to happen again. So make up your minds guys. And, 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 and that also gives us some humor when, when Giles and Anya think that they're married, but yeah. Giles thinks he's leaving her. Um, but, but on the other side, this is a way that people try to help others with trauma, which is kind of the, um, giving them the the cold shoulder the the tough love right right and so giles feels like to help buffy he needs to leave her alone and this is another one of those those things where you have to decide is this a care a smart character who's suddenly becoming dumb or is this something that we hate his decision but it makes sense that he would think it made sense and i i'm on the latter side i think I understand why he feels like that's a solution, even though it's clearly a bad solution. Okay, good. That's what I wanted to. That's what I wanted to ask you is exactly what you just said. Is he is he being dumb here and doing something you know for selfish reasons, or is he right and we just don't like it? And I think <clears throat> we've already touched on one of the things that uh, this series does is. Um, give these characters a believable inner life so that their decisions, whether we agree with them or not, make sense. And like the, the debate between, it wasn't really a debate. The, the begging argument between Buffy and Giles in that moment is him laying out very rational reasons that I, t I happen to agree with for why he needs to give her some space and her having very believable and possibly valid reasons why he shouldn't go the whole now is now really the best time like when you've just realized what i'm dealing with or whatever like that that's a valid point yes she does need to learn to stand on her own two feet but man the timing is really rough here and i think um and and let me for just a moment i'm I'm gonna point out that this is something i discuss in my book which is you know, something we discuss in our book so this is a shameless plug of a book which Frankly, I've never been able to do that before in my life, so I'm kind of feeling weird. <laughs> Enjoy it. Enjoy it. <laughs> but if it if it helps, the Buffy chapters were written by my wife Mona, and so those those are those are all her brilliance in those chapters. Um, but this is this is a question of what is Giles doing, and how does his identity fit 
with his hierarchical position as the watcher. And in a certain sense, we've moved past from him being the watcher for a while now. But there's always this weirdness of being the person who's on top and then asking, what do you do when the person who used to be below you is clearly no longer below you? And I think I don't agree with Giles's decision. I don't think it's a good decision. I don't think tough love works here. But I think it makes sense to me that Giles, who had been the watcher, who now realizes Buffy is beyond that, he's feeling there's no good place for him and he might just be holding her back. And I think that's a reasonable response. I don't think it's the correct response. I think the correct response is, can he help her either no longer being on top, maybe he's below her, or maybe he's an equal with her. But I think lots of us would struggle with going from, I was at the top, now I'm not at the top, maybe I should just leave. So I think that that all plays to me as that's how people would struggle with this kind of move. Yeah. Um, I mean, Jazz has already had like an entire season of the show <laughs> to struggle with his whole relevancy as a watcher anymore. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I think this is one of those things that doesn't have a, it doesn't have a right answer. There's no right or wrong answer here. I feel like he makes a very good point, but also I feel like there's a certain amount of, like he's been looking for a while now. He's been looking for a reason to, to go back to England or to give Buffy some space. Maybe he needs some space, but anyways, let me, let me ask you a question about, about, so one thing that's going on in this episode, Tabula Rasa is that, after they all lose their memories, we see glimmers of who they truly are. And I think for lots of them, this works in very interesting ways. And, and even when Xander is into Willow, that's very like complex and interesting. It makes us think about what could have been. Right. But the one thing that doesn't work at all for me is why are Giles and Anya getting together? <laughs> um, well, why, how do you mean? Well, like, is that supposed to be a glimmer of who Giles is? Because that would be bad if Giles was somehow secretly into Anya, the way I kind of think Xander might, we might be learning Xander is secretly into Willow. Well, but that, that has never been a secret. Um, I, I feel like the Xander Willow thing is just sort of a reset back to where they were closer to the beginning of the series. Exactly. Because he always, or I guess she always had a mad crush on him and he played with that. I don't know, but yeah, yeah, that felt more like a reset to an earlier state that we were already aware of the Giles, exactly. Giles and Anya thing. I guess I would, um, I mean, I just sort of enjoyed the humor of it, but trying to analyze it, I guess I would say over the course of the series, we've seen Giles, uh, make a couple attempts at a romantic, you know, at a romantic life, obviously Jenny. And then, um, Olivia was that her name? The, oh, I can't remember. I think I think it was Olivia. Uh, we've seen a couple examples, so uh, there's enough background there to know that Giles has always had a vision of himself as being in a relationship. And Anya, I mean, in this episode, she says they're talking about the uh, whether Randy is uh, 
is Rupert's son. She says, well, there is a, a ruggedly handsome similarity between the two of you. <laughs> I think Anya, yeah, I don't know, just attaches herself to a, the ruggedly handsome person closest to her. That's a terrible read on Anya. I think it's unfair to her, but I don't know. I don't know how but, far but to take Anya's that. Anya's always been a good comedic character. And I, she, she's one of my favorite characters for that reason, because whatever's happening, Anya's always good for a laugh. Right. And so when she starts conjuring up all the rabbits, it's hilarious. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, the, the only sort of uh, reset of a character that I question, I think Spike and Giles, Spike and Giles, but Spike is the height of comedic entertainment in this episode. Um, I just love him as Randy Giles. Why not call me horny Giles or, <laughs> or desperate for a shag Giles? Um, his whole shtick in this is hilarious, but I question the sort of reset aspect of it. And I'm already thinking of a way that you could fan wank this, but my first instinct was I tend to view Spike. I've always looked at Spike through the lens of Spike is a persona that he puts on. That is an act that he puts on. The real Spike is William. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think in the series we ever get this, but in supplemental material, we find out his last name is Platt. So William Platt, uh, the bloody awful poet from uh, Fool for Love, that's the real Spike. And he has created this identity for himself to protect himself from being hurt again. And so I momentarily question why a reset spell basically uh, doesn't reset him closer to William. He's still talking in his, his fake spike accent um, and he's still behaving like spike. So that's a good point. I like that point, but my, my immediate fan wank for that would be maybe because Willow's the one that cast the spell. It sort of resets people back to the earliest point that she's aware of. So she's never known Spike as the as William the Bloody or whatever. <laughs> um, so it just resets him back to an earlier. I don't know. I'm making this all up. <laughs> it's a good try. <laughs> Anyways, um, is there anything else in this episode that we need to cover? I feel like there's serious stuff that happens. How does the episode end? What does this do? Well, well, there's um, at the oh. end of the episode we get Michelle Branch yes. singing goodbye to you. Yes, a beautiful moment. I'm I'm yeah. a sucker for the the poignant musical montages at the end of episodes. Yeah, and 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 you know, this this question you know is coming up in the song too. Is is this question of are they really dealing with their emotions? Are are you know obviously Willow has failed to deal with emotions by trying to erase memories, and this is also going to to preview in the next few episodes. They're still not really dealing with emotions. And and not dealing with their emotions is just letting a, a darkness get into them. Yeah. Um, okay, well, unless there are any other one-off jokes we want to throw out, let's get into the darkness, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so, uh, Smashed, how do you want to start on this one? Oh, so, so um, early in Smash, Willow frees Amy. And... So there's two things that are interesting here, right? And and I'm wondering what you think about it. On the one hand, Willow and Tara have now broken up. And I don't think 
I think it's fair to say Willow doesn't seem as devastated as we would predict, which suggests that she's not really dealing with it well. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, as soon as they're broken up, Willow's back to doing magic without any concern for, for the points Tara was making. But on the other hand, why hasn't she realized she should turn Amy back to a human before now? <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot there's a lot to deal with here, I guess. I didn't realize how much we had to unpack with the Amy situation. But um, I would say that um, the not really dealing with uh, with their emotions or dealing with anything. Um, a lot of the characters are doing that. I feel like, like just, just in the last podcast episode, once more with feeling, I commented on how, um, I'm trying to cut back on the amount of shade I throw at Xander, but he needs, he needs to get a heck of a lot more shade than he ever gets for his role in once more with feeling. Uh, but here we're given an, uh, another example of the, the, the better and more mature Xander where he recognizes even when Buffy refuses to, he recognizes uh, what's going on with Willow and that, yes, she is being irresponsible with magic and um, she's not dealing with this stuff. And um, I don't know. I, I just, there was a very brief glimmer of, Oh, Xander's actually like paying attention and on point with something. Um, but the Amy stuff, like they try to play it off that Willow has been <laughs> keeping half an eye out for ways to turn Amy back. But um, I think the last time any of that was really shown on screen was maybe in season four. Um, I don't think anything <laughs> has come up, come up with that <laughs> since then, but um, and the, the way she finally does it is first of all, that incantation was ridiculous. Um <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what language that was supposed to be, but that was just that was like Looney Tunes ridiculous. The incantation she used, but um, it's another example of how magic is kind of simplified this season. Like for all leading up till this, magic has always involved these. I mean, they, it's been simplistic before, but there's always at least been some ele- element of a ritual, like lighting candles and burning incense and a long, complicated chant in Latin or something and here she just says reveal and the magic spell she's needed all along just appears um there's a lot of that in this season where it goes from you know magic involves spells that have to be cast to now willow just twitches her nose like uh like samantha from bewitched and there's a (laughs) a puff of colorful magic in the air and all of a sudden uh people turn into sheep and (laughs) Uh, she changes an entire band a male band to an all-female band and I don't know and, and in, in this moment I do I do think it was meant to emphasize it's not that Willow just got the power to do this yesterday this was really easy for for her so why hasn't she done it till now mm-hmm. and so I, I I kind of get that they wanted that to kind of look easy I think yeah Oh, I just remembered the other point I was trying to make about Xander. I felt like I was going off, getting off the the rails there. But the uh, question of Willow's reasons for all of a sudden deciding that she can de-rat Amy. Um, and Xander being the one to pick up on that by saying, yeah, she just 
She just wanted somebody else to abuse magic with or whatever. Which I think is yeah. what, which I think is what it is. I mean, Willow even says it's nice having another, you know, magic inclined friend to hang out with. Yes, and and that also shows, right? She she easily could have done this at any point or you know, any point in the in recent time. Mm-hmm. And nothing's done to transition Amy. There there's no sense of let's get people together, let's figure out where she's going to go. It's just hey, I can do this. I did it. And then it's 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 kind of an afterthought that she should introduce, you know, bring other people in and let them know that Amy's back. So that's why we get this great scene where, where Buffy just walks in and Amy's there and she, Buffy asks Amy, how have you been? And Amy says, rat you. And Buffy says dead. And Amy's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah that's a great, yeah. that's a great exchange, but, <laughs> but it, it, it really signals like Willow has no plan to help Amy. She's not interested in, Let's bring Amy back to regular life. It really is kind of she's she's brought a magical friend who's not going to judge her for overusing magic. Right. It it's another on the surface it doesn't seem this sinister, but I mean basically it's another Willow manipulating somebody for her own selfish needs, which is yes. she needs a quote unquote girlfriend to do magic with. Um, there, there is, there are a couple offhanded references to Amy going to see her father who has thought she's been dead for the past three years and she's just <laughs> going to show up on his doorstep or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I don't correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think that's ever dealt with. Do we ever even see, okay. Do we ever see Amy again? I can't remember. Yes. She comes up in, in, in multiple episodes after this. Oh, okay. All right. And so. I think she's in, she's, I think she's in the stories after this, the TV series ends. Oh, okay. Darn those comics. Um, yeah, I just thought it was weird that, uh, and, and, and unnerving that, uh, Amy says, I wish I could figure out a way to make him forget the last three w- years. And even after two glaring examples of this being such a terrible idea, Willow's like, Oh, I can help you with that. <laughs> God, Willow, come on. Um, and 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 this is us watching Willow's descent into the addiction. Yeah, and and Amy is and she, like Willow has specifically created her own enabler, mm-hmm. and so we're 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 seeing her not really dealing with consequences and and not dealing with consequences because she really doesn't want to deal with the consequence of having lost Tara, and so she's in denial, and she's created her own enabler, and now she's going to allow Amy it's it's Amy's definitely going to descend Willow farther and farther down, but Willow seems to want that. Yeah. Even when she's hesitating, she seems to want it. And so this is, this is finding someone, finding someone who's going to be the worst for your addiction because you have to, you're not dealing with the fact that you want the addiction to stop. Okay. With the caveat that I, obviously forgot Amy ever comes back again. So I clearly don't remember how any of this plays out. Let me ask you a really, let me just raise a really dark evil specter of a question here. I don't, I I feel like this version of Amy that we get here is a little further along the addiction track than preview 
like the last time we saw Amy. I don't. I feel like Amy before was a lot more surreptitious when she used magic. I don't. I don't remember the Amy of season two or three or whatever it was uh, being so cavalier and blatant and obviously abusive of magic as she is here. But here uh-huh. we get here we get a, an Amy that clearly already knows about Rack and and has already had experience with that. Um, and we never really got a clue of that before. So the the sinister, dark, evil question I'm going to ask is, is this the real Amy? I mean, I'm sure it is Amy, but is this like how Amy really would be? Or is this Willow subconsciously creating the enabler she wants? So we start where Amy is Amy's mother, right? In, in which? Yes. And so Amy's mother's horrible. Yeah. And then I think later in season three, when um, I think the episode Gingerbread. Mm -hmm. So Amy's in a coven. She's bringing Willow in. My vague memory is that that coven's pretty bad. But they also were somewhat righteous because... There were people organizing against witches and against witchcraft, and they were fighting them. And Yeah, I mean, that's how she turned into a rat, is to get away from being burned at the stake, yeah. Yeah, so there was something about her that was righteous, but also she was being pulled into the dark side of magic at the same time, I think. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if this... Not remembering those episodes well enough, I don't know if this is completely fair that she would go down this quick. Yeah. But but I do think she was headed in this direction. Okay. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not sure I actually believe that Willow subconsciously manipulated Amy into being as dark as she is here, but just a thought that popped in my head. Um, and they're, and they're feeding off each other. Yeah. And and there's a question of uh, how does Amy know Rack? Because Rack is clearly uh, the, the dropping to the the lowest level. But <laughs> but like they they're definitely feeding off to each other in a way that's worrisome. Yeah. Um. All right. Speaking of worrisome, let's talk about. Oh, I completely forgot. Uh, speaking of Amy. Uh, did you notice in the scene when she's eating cookies and watching TV, uh, you don't see it, but in the background you can hear what she's watching and it's a double meat palace commercial. Yes. And <laughs> and so that, and that's only a few episodes away. I think. Yeah. We're, we're perilously close to that episode. <laughs> I'm not looking <laughs> forward to that. Um, okay. Anyways. Uh, so yeah, speaking of, of uncomfortable or whatever, let's talk about uh, spikes business in this episode. Well, and I think one of the interesting parallels that's going on and, and, and like when Xander, sorry, Xander and Anya confront Willow, there's always this parallel in these episodes where on the surface, it's Willow who has an addiction problem and she's addicted to magic. But Buffy has an addiction problem, too, where she's addicted to Spike. Right. And. Buffy is often playing this in a very, I'm sorry, not Buffy, but Sarah Michelle Gellar. Uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar is often playing this in a great way where even though it's about Willow on her face, it's all about her. 
And so they're talking about Willow's addiction, but Buffy's worried about, does she have an addiction? And, and it's interesting because I think, and, and I'm not, I'm not, I think, I think I know where you stand on this, but maybe I'm wrong, but we're seeing spike in these episodes becoming a better person in lots of ways. Yes. Well, well, okay. I'm sorry. Continue. Well, but Buffy, Buffy's still repulsed by him while she's kissing him and and then having sex with him. So the repulsion is there, but so she's not seeing him as becoming a better person. Even if as the viewers were seeing hints of him becoming better, Buffy's not, which means she's not, she's not going into this thinking I'm seeing him change. She's going into this, kind of looking for a toxic relationship for the reason that she's in denial about her problems and she wants to just forget things. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, first I would push back at the notion that we've been seeing subtle hints of him becoming a better person. (laughs) I've been arguing since his first damn appearance on the show that, Oh, he's a good guy. Come on. (laughs) But, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, no, that's absolutely what's going on here. And, uh, um, the, the, controversy of this episode man all right hang on let me catch let me gather my thoughts here one of the sort of cognitive dissonances that i experienced um with season six the first time around and why i've struggled with it so much uh is that yeah i needed to gather my thoughts and i didn't they're they're leaving me but the I mentioned I had problems with the sort of meta text that was going on and the behind the scenes stuff that some of the writers had. I've specified before that in particular, I'm talking about a certain set of writers on the show that simply do not like Spike or or don't like the idea that Spike could be redeemed or that Spike should be looked at as a, a good romantic prospect. And so they, they, had a lot more sort of authority over the storytelling in this season. And they are really their their message that they're trying to get across throughout this season. One message is that he's, he's the bad boyfriend. He's not good for Buffy. This is a destructive thing. Um, he's not a good person. He doesn't deserve <laughs> whatever. Um, but they're running into the same problem. They've always run into with the character in that James Marsters plays spike as a soulful sympathetic character, even when he's the big bad. Um, and they just never nipped that in the bud. And that is an established fact of the character now. And so this season is all over the place for me in the messages that the various writers are trying to convey with spike. Um, I think there's something good about that. Like in a certain sense, one of the things we've always been dealing with with Spike in particular, more so than with Angel, is what is this show's point about not having a soul meaning that you're evil? Mm-hmm. Right? And and this comes up in, in, in the episode that your your show is named after, Conversations with Dead People, where there's this interesting question of the first day you're a vampire, are you just evil? Right. Like what 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 happens as soon as you come out of the ground, like is, has all morality left you? Do you know you're supposed to be evil as soon as you come up out of the ground? And, and so there is this interplay that if we accept 
that not having a soul inclines you towards evil but doesn't determine it, then of course there's always going to be this tension that I think is really interesting in Spike, even if it's not coming from, I, I think it is somewhat coming from a purposeful place, but even if it's also coming from there's multiple writers and they're fighting about things, it still makes for an interesting character play of there's something, there's always something evil about Spike, at least in the first six seasons. Mm -hmm. There's something evil about him but there's also something fighting against that evil. And in a certain sense, it stops being about what is a soul, but it starts being about how we all are and, and how we find good and evil people and, and, and what that means to us. And, and so I find it fascinating. I think it's, it's interesting to think there's something good coming out of Spike. And of course, there's also something interesting to think about what role is the chip playing in all this and what role is like you said his pre-vampire self playing in all this and it's and it's it's got all these different directions and causes and and i think in a certain way the rest of us don't have chips and the rest of us have souls if 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 we do or if souls don't exist i guess we don't um <laughs> we don't we don't know about the chips who knows yes maybe we have chips and souls maybe we have one, neither yeah. um but Whatever we have, we all have to deal with these same issues because sometimes we feel like we're a horrible person and sometimes we feel like we're a great person and, and we got to just live our lives. So obviously the fulcrum of this episode in terms of Spike is the whole, he, he discovers that he can hit Buffy without experiencing pain. And so anti-spikers uh, <laughs> like to point to this episode as the as proof, I guess that spike is evil and the, his fear of the chip is the only thing that has made him be nice or whatever up to this point, because he seemingly immediately goes out to try and kill someone now that he thinks the the chip isn't working. So let's, I mean, let's talk about that. I um, think, I, I th think you're right. That... I, I think everything that you just said actually kind of covers this with the notion that he, However you read his reasoning here, like whatever is going on in his head, either way, I still think this is a pro spike thing, because even if he is, even if, even if it is a genuine drive to evil and not him just trying to psych himself up to make himself feel better or whatever, still, we ultimately are going to see spike overcome this. So if that evil is still present, it actually makes his, his fight towards the good even that much more dramatic. And and I, I'm I'm in agreement with you, and I think this is in part because of how James Marsters is playing it. I see hesitancy in that scene in the alley. Mm -hmm. I, I think that the way he's acting, he he feels he has to go through with this test and he kinda wants to, but I feel like he's hesitating. I feel like he he you know he's talking with her and he's he's talking with her in a way as if he's talking himself up to kill her. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so he's, there's a part of him that's evil, but there's a part of him that's like, am I just evil because I'm supposed to be? Yeah. <laughs> and, and there's a conflict in him. And I think that's in large part due to, to how good James Marsters is acting. And, and so I, I'm with you. I think part of this is that James Marsters acting is so much better than maybe what, what some of the writers wanted him to do. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, he was only supposed to be on the show for three episodes, so <laughs> exactly. Clearly, he won that argument. Um, <laughs> yes. So, uh, I mean, there is the thing at the end of this episode we <laughs> we have to deal with. But before we get into that, I just want to say how truly like heartbreakingly fond I am of the scene between Tara and Dawn. Um, when yeah. I think it's the milkshake scene, I think that's what it was. Um, when Tara, I, I don't know, Tara just seems like the closest at this moment. She's the closest to like just pure unadulterated good of any of these characters. Yes. Um, and a lesser man than me, someone who is into conspiracy theories <laughs> might point out how at this point in the series, uh, uh, Amber Benson still doesn't have her name in the opening credits. And the only shot of her we get in the open opening credits is the one and only time she ever used magic selfishly. <laughs> uh, when, when she was messing with people's uh, memories of her because she was trying to keep her secret. And I think, you know, uh, Joss Whedon wanted to kill off somebody in the opening credits and it would have been nice if he had put her in the opening credits the whole season. Right. And then killed her off. Right. Instead, I don't remember when exactly, but I, I it feels like she gets her name in the opening credits the episode that she dies. Yes, exactly. Is, is that actually true? Yeah, I good, think that's right. Good grief. Good <laughs> grief. <laughs> Man. Um, let's not lampshade that one too much, shall we, Joss? <laughs> yeah. So... so... <sighs> So yeah, she's the one who um, she's the one who has to be responsible, right? And and she's the one who she's gonna. I mean, this is something that's kind of of real too for a lot of people. I'm sure, like she broke up with her partner, and her partner's handling it very irresponsibly, and she still has that connection to her partner's life where she's like okay, my partner's dealing with this breakup in the least responsible way. I'll still have a foot in her life and be responsible for the people around her because she clearly can't. Yeah. And it's, it's that kind of extra burden of she's going to stick with this because she's a good person. And, and this ties into me. I mentioned it a little earlier, but the conversation that Anya and Xander have where they explain to Buffy that it's the responsible types yeah. who who go downhill the fastest, that they, they get a taste of being bad or they get a taste of power, and then they just completely lose themselves. And, and like I said, in that moment, Buffy is, is experiencing that conversation as if it's about her. Right. And... In a way, and also, of course, the conversation's foreshadowing what's going to happen to Willow. And in a way, it's a, it's a very interesting conversation because on the one hand, Tara's being the most responsible. And so what's really happening here is these are people who it's it's not because they're responsible that they're having a problem. It's because they can't they can't deal with the emotions that their trauma's giving them and they're not trying to deal with the emotions that their trauma's giving them. And so it's not their responsibility that's pulling them downhill fast, but the trauma and yeah. the fact that they haven't processed it. So, so there's an interesting question of how is 
terra processing it and and are we getting enough explanation of that but i do think it's 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 great to show us this idea that sometimes you have to be responsible to your ex even after you've broken broken up with them which i'm sure a lot of people can identify with yeah well there's also the question of uh was willow or not willow so so willow and to a certain extent at least buffy have in there have always been the responsible ones you could argue that buffy has been the responsible one because she was forced to be but regardless we've always known those two characters as the responsible ones um and so where we are now is they are responsible they are established responsible people who are getting a taste of darkness and it's overcoming them it's subsuming them um we don't have as much of a history with tara but I guess my question would be, is she someone who has always been responsible or is she discovering her responsible side now and leaning into it? Yeah. And, and one thing we do know is she's controlling her use of magic. Yeah. Which of course is, is in part a metaphor here, Mm -hmm. but I guess that's suggesting that it's because they have whatever they're addicted to that's pulling them out of their responsible habits. Yeah. All right. So on the subject of responsible habits, (laughs) (laughs) we, uh, let's, let's get to, uh, let's get spiked. Um, Let's talk about the end of the episode. Um, so curious if you have any, I apologize. I can't remember if you watched this on original airing or if you came to it afterwards, but, afterwards afterwards so what so did you know that this was a thing that was going to happen when you first watched it or did this take you by surprise how'd you feel about it um what are you referring to the the uh the smashing of the building at the end of the episode the consummation yeah no um it's been a long time since i first watched it and like you when i first watched it i was going through really rooting for spike to become good mm-hmm. and so i i the first time i watched it i i was shipping buffy and spike but at and at this point like there's something there's something hopeful about can spike be there for buffy like buffy's going to spike for bad reasons but she needs somebody giles has abandoned her Everyone else is dealing with Willow's problems. And Spike does realize that Buffy's coming to her for bad reasons. And Spike originally, uh, prior to him figuring out that the chip doesn't work with Buffy, originally he wants to help her, I think. Right? And and he's he's trying to say, look, you're just turning to me because you're trying to avoid problems maybe we could also deal with the problems and, and, and Buffy has no interest in dealing with the problems verbally or emotionally. Yeah. And, and so at this point, Spike, he comes to Buffy and he, and he's hurting her, but he's not hurting her physically. And, and one of the questions that, that I think is always interesting is Spike has killed vampire slayers, but, within the mythology of the show, he's not as strong as a vampire slayer. Right. Right. And the reason that's relevant here is I'm thinking to myself, he did not walk up to Buffy and think he was going to defeat her in a fight. Right. And so 
I'm not sure what Spike's end goal here was. I don't think he thought he was just going to kill Buffy. But he wanted to hurt her. And he wanted to hurt her emotionally by telling her she's no longer fully human. Yeah, she came back wrong. Yeah, yeah she's messed up. Um, no, I, I absolutely agree. I don't think his plan was to like actually kill her. He... Uh, I feel like this is uh, an extension of, or, or another example of um, the Spike character as the as the act. Like this is the reason he created Spike. The reason William became Spike was to protect himself from being victimized and belittled and and you know talked down to or whatever. Um, he felt persecuted, and becoming a vampire gave him an option, and that's why Spike exists. So this is an example of him. I mean, he still has feelings for her, obviously, but he's getting a little bit of release, a little bit of payback for the fact that he's had to endure her pointedly telling him he's not human. He's not a man. He's a convenience or he's, you know, yes. uh, an evil thing or whatever. And we've seen examples before that that genuinely hurts him like <laughs> that devastates him to hear something like that, especially from her. So I think this was. Like him starting a fight with her was, was, I don't think it was meant intentionally as foreplay necessarily. No, I don't think so. But I think he was just finally venting. I I I think that's right. I think there's there's something that is honestly abusive and manip manipulative about it. Mm -hmm. But also, it is him dealing with the fact that he doesn't feel like he's treated the way humans are treated and, and specifically by Buffy herself. And there's a sense of she, based on the laws of the universe, as he's reading them from his chip, not working on Buffy, she's not fully human. And of course the show, I think sometimes is very good at this and sometimes is not, but there's this sense of there's a rule that humans should never be killed yeah <laughs> and and monsters can be killed for little reasons and and of course in this dust up right now spike hurts buffy emotionally and buffy is the first to turn to violence and so she's hitting him because she he hurt her emotionally and there's something wrong on both sides and then it becomes double down wrong that this violent encounter turns into a sexual encounter. <laughs> so any, anyone who listens to probably any of my other podcasts has heard me be embarrassingly open about the fact that I'm in, uh, I'm in therapy and that I, I bring up the weirdest stuff in therapy, including whatever the topic of my podcast happens to be. Um, so I have actually, I've actually discussed my feelings on, uh, the character of Spike and the way that he's treated and all that um, in therapy. I don't know what that means, but I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> and um... but but I think that that's important because I think we are, especially this this season, that that's what makes it good. We are dealing with our issues by watching the show and thinking about the characters dealing with their issues. Yeah, and and that's that's what makes great TV great is that. If it can teach me something about myself, then and if it can make me even healthier with myself, then that's wonderful. So you you just pointed out that um, Spike, for reasons, uh, is trying to emotionally 
hurt Buffy, and Buffy's the first one to resort to physical violence, also for reasons. Um, I would point out that when the particularly violent tussle that they get into in the abandoned building uh, makes the turn that it does, it's also Buffy that makes the first physical move yes. in that. Um, and I think it's always it always has been. I think any time that well, I suppose you could argue at the end of Once More with feeling it was a mutual coming together, but I think usually these examples of these PDAs on their part are initiated by her. Yes. At least, and, and, at least and, physically, yeah. And and we know from, from her telling us she sees herself as using him, which isn't right. And so him hurting her emotionally is a response to the fact that he has been used and and it's manipulative, but it's manipulative for the purpose of, I think he wants her to stop using him and to view her, him the way he wants to be viewed and, and kind of deserves to be viewed. Yeah, the reason I brought up therapy is one aspect of this that I've discussed is the that it's taken me years to realize, to, to, to finally embrace and accept the fact that Buffy and Spike are not good for each other. <laughs> I've, I, I've... <laughs> always been a spuffy i have always wanted the two of them to make it work um i prefer yeah. them together to her and angel together or whatever but and so i've fought with that for years and years and years <laughs> but <laughs> i've i've recently just accepted the fact that um although i don't like it and i don't like how it went down it's uh, okay fine you're right they don't make a good match <laughs> <laughs> they're not good for each other because their entire relationship, um, at least the relationship they are allowed to have with each other is based on nothing but violence and, and conflict and all that. But I guess, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on your side. I, I think at this point he still has some evil in him. Yeah. And, and after they wake up, he's being, he's being a, a dick. Um, so, Definitely this spike can't be. I think it's almost getting to the point where it's becoming a, a trope where, yes, we put these we put these we put lead female characters with men who really aren't good enough with them. And then we kind of want the men to change to be good enough with them. And then at the end of the series, the the female character is not with any of those men who were not really good enough for them. And it's almost becoming a trope because it, it always means, okay, but that just means they're left alone. When we saw throughout the whole show, they didn't want to be alone. Yeah. And I think that part of the trope is, well, they're supposed to learn to be independent, but also the reason why I'm, I, that kind of bothers me is like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm biased because I'm married. But like part of life is, you know, it's a good thing to find your significant other and to be happy with them. And I don't want I don't want it to be the case that, you know, independence is in conflict with falling in love and being happy with a significant other. Not everyone. That's not for everyone. I'm not saying everyone has to do that. But I'm also saying it's become a trope that strong, independent female characters end up alone yeah. to prove a point. I, I would say the show that I am familiar with, at least, that handles this best was probably Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yeah, I was thinking of the same show. <laughs> yeah. That was uh, that was a very, 
I mean, I kind of knew all along that that was where it was going to lead to, because like you said, this is becoming a trope, but, uh, yeah. but they, they handled it very well. And, and, uh, I, it was ne- like, that was the necessary end for that show. I felt like that ending fit. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. So I guess on, uh, on the controversial sound of a zipper being unzipped, we can move on to the, the final episode, um, 610 wrecked. Um, yeah, <laughs> wrecked. I told you, I can't remember if it was on or off mic, but I told you, uh, that <laughs> wrecked was the one that I have opinions on Marty Noxon, which I've, I've flirted with discussing on this show before. Um, and, and I've, I've tried to be subtle because I don't want to start a flame war with anybody, but this episode is going to make that impossible. Like, <laughs> There's no way that uh, I can't bring the the subject of Marty Noxon up because this is a Marty Noxon written episode and some stuff happens in this episode that I have feelings on. Um, but before we get to my feelings on it, how how do you feel about Wrecked? So I think, I mean, I'm, I'm probably like you. There's some stuff I like and some stuff I don't like. Um, one of the things that, that I'm going to, be critical about is I'm not sure that rack whose name rhymes with crack. Thank you. <laughs> Thank I'm you. not sure if that's just too obvious and, and, and not well enough explained. And, and, and that's definitely something I, I, I didn't feel as we went through this episode, but, but other stuff I thought maybe worked better. So, so what, what, what don't you like about it? Well, I, so I guess we're just going to jump right to it because my, <laughs> my, my biggest complaint with Marty Knox and hinges on, uh, there's more to it, but it hinges on the whole, the thuddingly heavy handed metaphors, so-called in air quotes uh, that run through, I felt like that ran through the entire season six, but maybe, maybe that's me holding an entire season in my memory accountable for the sins of one or two episodes, this being one of them. So you mentioned rack. I, in my notes, I said the closest thing to subtlety in the whole magic as a drug metaphor is them somehow resisting the urge to just straight up name him crack. <laughs> that is as close to subtle as they ever get with the magic as drug metaphor. Um, and that says something. So, yeah, the, there are so many. I, this is why I have a difficult time talking about it because I, I'm concerned that my that I'm biased here when I say things like, I don't often feel like the show is hitting me in the head with a with a metaphorical hammer to get these things across unless it's a Marty Noxon episode. For some reason, <laughs> I tend to feel like the the message or whatever you want to call it in a Marty Noxon episode is really, you know, dressed up and, and goes to town on screen for us. Um, and I mean, there's the, the magic is a drug. Um, there's absolutely nothing about that that's subtle or or low key, whatever. Um, it's, it's very ham fisted. Uh, and then there's also the subject of like all of the sexual power games in this arc. And, and I would say in a lot of things, I haven't watched everything that Marty has done, but a lot of my experience with Marty Knox and penned things 
there are <laughs> sex is one of the subjects and it's usually non-vanilla sex and that non-vanilla sex is usually i feel like coded as negative i i, I want to just say for the record i love the show unreal okay and I, there's points where unreal jumps the shark but i think like to make a show about reality TV as evil was just really fun. Yeah. But, but yeah, I'm, I, some of her other work, I, I'm, I kind of agree with you on and, and unreal definitely jumps the shark. So, <laughs> so I think one of the things that I kind of felt was maybe there's a, a, a divide between, um, between Smashed and Wrecked is at the end of Smash, Spike is hurting Buffy, and I mean specifically hurting her emotionally, and he's digging in deep. But the way we just discussed it, and I, I, I thought, you know, you were making some excellent points I really agree with, that hurting, it, it's bad, and I don't condone it, but I understand where it's coming from. And I understand that Spike has been hurt himself and he's not dealing with well, in part because he's evil. Yeah. But when he hurts her at the beginning of Wreck, thank you. It just seems like there's no good analysis there. It's just just mean. Yeah, so I, I just went on a tirade about how Marty Noxon is not subtle in any of her stuff. <laughs> but uh I may have to take some of that back. I'll walk that back a little bit because it is subtle. Um, this is why I want people to tell me if I'm just imagining this or if I'm coming at it from a point place of bias or privilege or whatever. But there, I feel like there is a clear difference between the, the way Spike is written in the previous episode smashed or any previous episode and the way he's written here and the, the contrast is particularly jarring because we are going from one, like from one extreme to the other here, even though Spike has always talked a big game, big game. And he always like, you know, pimps himself and cuts other people down. Like that's his shtick. So on the surface, it might appear like he's just being Spike, but there is something there. There is to me, at least this plays a lot more as his lines are being written by someone who genuinely doesn't want Spike to be looked at as a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. There's that sense of in the previous episode, you don't like him. He shouldn't be doing this, but you kind of see that he's hurt too. Mm -hmm. And in this episode, it feels like he's just a, just a dick. He slept with her and now he's just hurting her and he seems to like it. And, and, and there's a divide there. Yeah. I, 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 God, I'm so paranoid about stating opinions on my own podcast. Um, <laughs> there, there's a scene in the beginning of this, or there's a moment in the scene where when Spike's being all hurtful and everything, when he uh, like pulls her down, she's trying to leave and he pulls her down. Um, and it's difficult in this day and age in, in 2020 in the world we live in now to not cringe at that kind of stuff when he like forces her down into his lap and like reaches his hand up under her skirt and all that stuff. That's, that's icky to watch. Yes. But he's initiating a form of very forceful role play that 
she doesn't really resist. Like she gets into it. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, so I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I did not like the rack point being so on point, but I, I didn't like this scene. And it didn't feel like it didn't feel like it fit with the previous episode. Yeah. Or like you said, many of the episodes that came before. I, I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm girding my loins. I'm, <laughs> I'm yeah. building myself up to uh, nine episodes from now when I'm going to have to discuss certain events that happen on the show and point, trying to point back to stuff like this. I don't, I absolutely don't want to come off as the kind of person that would say she was asking for it. Cause that is not right under any circumstances, no, no. but you see a scene like this where he's being forceful in a role play kind of way. And she clearly is into it. And where I'm going with this is right or wrong. This is sending, this is sending a message to spike that this is the only way they are allowed to interact. This is the only way this relationship is allowed to proceed is if they continue this, this, you know, combative, physically aggressive relationship. And I don't know. I, 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 it will be worth revisiting this in nine episodes, I think. Yeah. Yeah. When you get to seeing red. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, in the, you know, maybe putting aside some of the horrible ways it's done, it is dealing with the fact that this is Buffy's addiction and Buffy is struggling to deal with her trauma. Right. And, and so they're still working on that angle. And, and so, and, and, you know, and the episode is called wrecked and obviously the house is wrecked, but really it's Buffy that's wrecked. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, from that perspective, there, there's something there. She's this, this connection of sex and violence and, how people deal with that is it's unfortunately not fictional. It's, it's something that people have to navigate. And sometimes there can become an addiction to something that like Buffy, some people, I'm, I'm not saying that there's something wrong with anyone who does anything like this or, you know, whatever people are into, if they're really in, genuinely into it, they should, they should enjoy it. Yeah. No kink shaming. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But Buffy's not into it. And she tells us that consistently. And so it's not clear that she's really, it's not clear that, well, let me rephrase. It is clear that there's something problematic about Buffy using sex that she admits she's not really into to try to deal with trauma that this in no way is going to help her with. Yeah. I want to be, I want to make sure that I, I point out to listeners who are probably screaming at me and, and writing uh, <laughs> very hurtful emails to me at the, at this moment, <laughs> I, I want to be clear. I, I recognize, I do have a bias and I recognize it particularly uh, just a moment ago when, um, when you brought up the fact that, uh, that Buffy is also dealing with her own trauma. Um, I'm always quick to rush to the defense of characters like Spike and say that, you know, his behavior is predicated because of he suffered this or, you know, I play that game a lot with Spike and the other characters. And I'm, I always, not always intentionally, but I always hesitate to get cut the same slack, I guess, to Buffy. So <laughs> 
I like the character of Spike more than I like the character of Buffy, but it's unfair of me to not also acknowledge the fact that that Buffy's not just <laughs> she's not just being a bitch. She's not just evil and deliberately hurtful to Spike. She has her own right. stuff that she's going through. Right. And and and, and these ha- these episodes are heavy and and in a, in a way that's that's what makes them really they're they're not just this is not just a vampire monster show. Mm-hmm. This is a show dealing with real issues and and we connect to them and we realize that sometimes and, and, and part of what's happening in these episodes and part of Xander and Anya saying this is what happens to responsible people is that we all have moments of trauma in our lives and we are all in danger of going the wrong direction in those moments, especially if we don't have good support systems mm-hmm. and, and definitely, and, and definitely if we do go the wrong direction, it's not a fault. It's not a mistake. It's that life is tough and life throws challenges at you and we all struggle with what to do with those challenges. Yeah. Struggle and challenges. Um, it's not all about <laughs> Buffy and Spike having sex. There's, there's another clumsy metaphor happening in the episode. Uh, as we're transitioning into the the willow of it all, I wanted to point out. Did in, did you notice in the scene? I think it was the scene when um, they're doing research in the magic box, and Xander discovers that Anya is just reading wedding magazines, like wedding planner <laughs> magazines. Um, the book that he was looking through. I think it was hard to tell. Uh, the picture wasn't quite clear enough, but I think the book he was reading was Tobin's Spirit Guide. Oh, I didn't see. I think that's what the cover. I'm almost positive it was Tobin's something, and then the subtitle. I thought it was Spirit Guide, but anyways, that has to be a Ghostbusters reference, right? Tobin's Spirit Guide. <laughs> yeah, probably. Okay, I I, I looked it up and I because <laughs> I was like, is Tobin's Spirit Guide a real thing? Did Ghostbusters name a real book? But no, that's a that's a thing made up for Ghostbusters. So, <laughs> anyways, um, also I have to mention because this is the kind of thing that I do. Anytime I'm watching an episode of this show, or any really, but anytime I'm watching Buffy and there's a something on the TV in the background, they're watching a movie, or more importantly, a cartoon. I have to look up. I don't wake up. Uh, it's called, it's a 1942 Looney Tunes cartoon called Ding Dog Daddy. <laughs> and so just based on uh, the Wikipedia synopsis of it, uh, I'm just going to read an, an excerpt of it here. It says, after having no luck with the ladies, Willoughby, uh, the dog, falls in love with Daisy, a metal statue of a female dog in a garden, failing to realize that Daisy is indeed a sculpture. Whenever Willoughby kisses Daisy, lightning strikes and sends a shock through his system, which he takes as a sign of her passion, passionate love for him. Anyways, anyways, I just, uh, that feels significant that it's about a dog who's in love with a a not real dog that uh, electrocutes him every time he gets close. And, and, and that, and and it connects to Buffy and, and Spike. Yeah. Yeah. And and also it connects to to Willow, who truly loved Tara, mm-hmm. and is is not at all dealing with Tara being gone. Yeah. Okay. This, this is by the way, this is why why we love your podcast. And in the last <laughs> episode, you you were talking about how you pause and read all the tombstones. Yes. So 
Yes. I tried <laughs> I tried in these too because they walked through the cemetery a couple times. I didn't spot anything though. <laughs> you're you're doing God's work. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um all right. So um <laughs> Willow breaks bad. Yes. So let's talk about that. Uh we already talked about the how how very subtle the name Rack is. Um <laughs> I love that actor of uh, Jeff Kober and he's, he was in a previous episode of Buffy. I can't remember who he was, but uh, I think as a vampire. Okay. Probably. But yeah, he pops up in all sorts of genre shows. Like my fondest memory of him is from an early episode of X-Files, but anyways, I yeah. love, I love the actor, Jeff Kober, not so much the <laughs> character of rack, but uh, what are your thoughts on this whole crack house thing that goes down? So I, I, I just want to be honest with you. I'm not sure I understood, like, what's happening in yeah. the crack house. Yeah. Like, yeah, are, Amy, they, Amy, are they becoming more powerful every time they go in? I, that certainly seems to be what's going on with Willow, because we, like, she walks away from that multiple-hour session with Dawn at the end in full dark willow face well not full she doesn't have she's not veiny but she's got the black eyes yeah um but like amy sold it as this is a guy who can uh hook you up with spells that don't drain you like there's no you don't feel burned out afterwards which obviously is not the truth that's clearly right not what's going on here um like but like when amy was first pitching it it sounded like this is someone who can teach you how to do magic that doesn't drain you or whatever. But apparently all he does is just zap you with magic and get you high. Yeah. Which, which again goes to the point, like, is this getting too on point? Cause I, I think the interesting thing about the magic addiction, I'm, 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 I'm just always focusing on not doing my chores here. Um, <laughs> the interesting thing about the magic addiction is that I wouldn't have to wash dishes anymore. I'm not sure the, zapping till you're high is really capturing that idea or, or or it's not capturing in an interesting way it just is making it the same as drugs yeah oh yeah i mean that's my complaint is that the metaphor completely fall it's no longer metaphor like the the, yeah. the the subtext becomes blatant text branded across the screen for us um and i won't argue that there that we don't get anything compelling out of it. Even if the only compelling thing we get out of it is an opportunity for another Oscar worthy, Alison Hannigan breakdown. Yes. Um, I, I genuinely, I mean, I don't love it obviously, but I genuinely love it. Anytime Alison Hannigan gets an opportunity at this kind of emotional outpouring because she is better than anybody else on the show at it. Yes. And so that, that, and and you're you're talking about the ending, right? Yeah, the very where, ending. Where she, yeah, where she discusses this with Buffy, and and I also think you know the the losing the kind of putting Dawn in danger, mm -hmm. I thought was interesting in itself, and I thought that part was interesting in part because I mean, it's still it's still a little bit too on point with the, with the metaphor to drugs, but at the same time, it's important. And at the same time, it kind of makes sense that Willow feels like it, it fits within that more, more, more metaphorical point. Willow, Willow's addiction is a problem because she doesn't see problems. Right. She only sees 
whatever's happens, I'll be able to solve it with magic. And, and that's losing her connection to people because she doesn't even see, and this is, this is minor, but it's important. She doesn't see that, that Don wanted to see a movie. Right. That's important. And, and she's, Watching Don, which is a good contrast to Tara was forced to watch Don because everyone else was being irresponsible, but Tara took care of her responsibility. Willow's watching Don and Willow's like, you know, so what? You didn't get to see a movie. Why does it matter? But of course, that was the whole point. You watch a kid, you bring them to a movie. It's not a big deal. It's yeah. your job. Right. So so I thought that was a good lead into finally willow appears to have hit rock bottom because she's affecting a kid that she was responsible for so i i wish that the clumsy metaphor didn't have to <laughs> go all the way up to including a driving under the influence scene yes but uh i mean it was very after school special but the the breakdown so there's a couple reasons why Willow's breakdown and her her no pun intended, but her racked sobs uh, uh, she's begging Buffy to please just help her. I need help. Like I I genuinely love that scene because of the well of emotion that Allison Hannigan is able to to dump on us, but also because it demonstrates it, it was a good look for Buffy too, because in virtually any previous episode Anytime Dawn is put in danger, Buffy has zero tolerance for the people that have done that, whether mm -hmm. it's whether it's her friends or not. If this had been an earlier episode and without all of this background stuff going on, she I mean, she would have probably laid Willow out. Uh, she certainly wouldn't have been as, you know, attentive and, and she wouldn't have listened and been as quite as comforting as she turns out to be. But and I appreciate the fact that you've you keep pointing out uh, that at the moment, a lot of stuff that people say about other like when people are talking about how much pain Willow must be in, she, what she's hearing is, yes, I'm in a lot of pain. <laughs> like It's all about Buffy. Yes. I appreciate that you said that because I feel that way about Buffy a lot. But um, and there's still some of that going on here at the end. There's still a lot of that going yes. on here at the end. But just the fact that Willow got to collapse in Buffy's arms and beg her to get her help and that the next scene is them sitting quietly at home. Willow's obviously had a shower. I don't know. That that speaks a lot to uh, the I was going to say the growth of Buffy, but maybe yes. maybe it's it speaks to the darkness of Buffy because she's so trapped in her own suffering that she's not even really processing what just happened. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think this is a this is a positive moment. I think that Giles abandoned Buffy. She's not abandoning Willow. And it's true. Part of what's going on, it's almost, Willow seems to be three steps removed from where she currently is, right? She has to deal with her magic addiction, but the magic addiction comes from not dealing with Tara breaking up with her and Tara breaking up with her goes back to that she hasn't dealt with. She stole Buffy out of heaven. Mm -hmm. And in the next episode, I'm sure you'll you'll discuss a little more on, you know, how they're they're working this out. But it has to be Willow and Buffy working this out together. 
because Willow's pain is ultimately connected to Willow hurting Buffy. And so there is a sense of Buffy has reason to be angry at Willow, not rationally, because rationally Willow didn't know what she was doing. Willow shouldn't be blamed for that. But emotionally, they need to process this. They need to process that Willow Willow stole Buffy's happiness. And not purposely, but she did. And now they're together, and Buffy's not abandoning Willow the way Giles abandoned her. Buffy's there. But at the same time, it is all about Buffy because ultimately it goes back to Buffy being stolen from heaven. And Buffy's both kind of there for Willow, but also kind of there for herself because <laughs> she's got her own problem. Yeah. And and a, a certain way, like none of us have perfect friends. And if I have a friend who's like, I'll be there for you, but I'll be thinking about my own thing. I'll be like, well, that's better than abandoning me. Let's go for it. <laughs> uh, to take another opportunity, um, to demonstrate that uh, I'm trying to make amends here. I will point out, uh, you know, in Buffy's, in Buffy's favor uh, for her frame of mind right now is that uh, she has been dealing with this whole, I was ripped out of heaven thing. Uh, the most telling thing she ever says about that. And I can't remember if it's already happened or if it's still coming. I think, I think we've already heard it as she says, I was done. Um, which is very, very compelling yeah. given who Buffy has always been and what she's wanted her life to be. So she's been dealing with that this whole time, but within herself, she didn't want her friends to know. She Last episode, she finally got to confess and tell everybody. And so, you know, now the doors are open. Now communication can happen. But the series is, is uh, conspiring to make sure that there's always other stuff going on. <laughs> So they never really get to focus on Buffy's state of mind. Like they never really get to talk about it. Yeah. And, 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 and that's in a way, and, and of course that's, that's real life. Like, right. yeah. you know, we, we have trauma and we got to go to work the next day and yeah. we got to do our jobs. And, and some of us, you know, you know, I think, I think I, I can definitely speak for myself. I, my job's a wonderful job. And so it's it's nice to go to a wonderful job. Most people's jobs suck. But yeah. either way, you got to go to your job and do your job. You're not dealing with your trauma because you got you got to make money. And and so their job is to fight monsters. Monsters keep appearing. And so um and and so this is people point out that this is supposed to be kind of like a trilogy of episodes with the next one gone where all the episodes kind of reference being addicted or being drunk, right? Smash, wrecked, gone. Mm -hmm. And, and so I'm, I'm, you know, previewing your next podcast. I think that that's going to be an interesting discussion about Buffy actually coming to grips with, she was in heaven. Does she want to die? Right? Because yeah. if you know, there's a heaven and you know, you're going there, you kind of would want to die. Yeah. And, and, and that's got to get processed. And what, what is she going to do with that? This pattern of logical thinking about this kind of stuff um, gets me in trouble later on in 
this series and an angel where I start questioning well just a preview I start questioning things like at a certain point in Spike's life he has uh, accepted the fact that he was a soulless vampire and he's found a way to in essence save himself and make something of himself uh, and he now knows it's possible for vampires to not be cursed with their souls but to actively seek their souls back yes. and so why from that point forward wouldn't he consider the possibility of maybe he could help drew down that same path yeah but anyways that's for a later conversation <laughs> um also i want to point out in in uh my talk with arlo about once more with feeling i think i i think i said something to the effect of they never refer to heaven dimensions they call they say hell dimensions mm -hmm. but they always just say heaven obviously that's not true because here we get um was it uh Tara, I think, was the one that said something about we pulled her out of one of a million hell or uh, heaven dimensions or something like that. Ah. So I think I think at least that one time they do acknowledge that there are hell dimensions and heaven dimensions. So sometimes I wonder, maybe it's not fair to wonder or not fun to wonder. Like, are these decisions for some deep metaphysical reason, or are they because they thought we'll have a spinoff one day? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows. <laughs> Yeah, so many spinoffs that should have come out of these things, but exactly. Okay, so um, anything else? Is there anything in this that we we need to dig deeper into? Um, just just this is just reiterating an old point, but I just want to point out when when Don asks Buffy if she's okay, I think Sarah Michelle Gellar is really good in that moment of saying that she's fine and showing on her face, she's not at all fine. Yeah. No. Yeah. You're right. There's, there are multiple times, particularly in these episodes right here where she gets a very, it's a very good performance of she's speaking to the person in front of her, but you can tell from her face that she is a million miles away. Yeah. Like she's doing a good job in these episodes to like, it's, it's got to be clear to us as the audience that she's dealing with her stuff, but she's not telling us that in any way. And we don't have a voiceover. So, so she, she did it. I mean, I, I really could see in each scene, she's not with these people. She's, she's there, but she's not there. And, and, and so she did a great job on that. Yeah. I also meant to mention when we were talking about uh, tabula rasa that, I, I think I made a similar comment somewhere during season five where uh, Sarah Michelle Geller, like all the characters, but particularly Sarah is, was being called upon to play so much like her character was doing nothing but suffering. All, all she ever got to play was Buffy like on the edge of tears or engulfed with rage or whatever. And um, I don't, I don't remember what they what it was, but there was at least one example in season five where she got to uh, she got to be. Oh, I think it was when it was the Buffy bot. When she got to play the Buffy bot, I was like, that must be such a breath of fresh air for her right now, <laughs> because for once she gets to just be play a goofy character on camera instead of always being dark. It was the same thing in Tabula Rasa. There's so much bleakness and depression and darkness happening in this season that uh, being able to wipe all that so she could just be Joan and crack jokes again and be, you know, stake a vampire and say, I don't know what that was, but that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Must be a relief to get to do that every once in a while. 
And that that brings me back. I, I just want to come back to that last conversation in um, in Wrecked between Willow and Buffy, and and the idea that Willow's saying to Buffy, "Of course, people are going to like su- Super Willow better than regular Willow," mm-hmm. and she's and she's like, you know, of course you don't have a choice, Buffy. You're always Super Buffy. Yeah. And and one of the things that we've been seeing the whole series is it's horrible to be Super Buffy. And yet Willow's really speaking from a place that we all understand where we just have that longing of if I was rich or if I was powerful, then I would be happy. But of course, that's not at all true. Right. But yet, we're, we're, you know, I'm living my life as regular James. I'd like to be super James and then not do my chores. <laughs> man, you're really but, hung up on the, those. Those see some terrible chores you've got, man. <laughs> no, they're the standard chores. I just don't like them. Oh, okay. All right. But, 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 you know, it's okay to be regular. Yeah. And it's, it's okay to be regular Willow. And she, she's struggling with that. And we all are. And, and that I, I like that scene because I understand it. I think we all do. But but it's life is about being happy with regular yourself. Right. Are you listening, Xander? <laughs> Anyways. <Yes. laughs> um, so I guess the last thing I'll say is uh, I really, even though I am Team Spike, even though I adore Spike and I want everything to work out perfectly for my dear sweet boy, um, I I was really, for some reason, I was really moved by the very final shot of this episode with uh, Buffy, like curled up in her bed with her knees in her chest clutching a was she clutching a cross i think and then the, yes. all the windows were covered with garlic and yes you know for the for the shipper in me that was terrible but it was a really powerful shot i really it, it, it might be down to sarah michelle geller's you know facial acting in that scene but it was really strong and and i i 100 agree with you um i'm just curious you you probably know better than me haven't they figured out there's ways to to uninvite vampires by this point? Yes, yes, they've done they've done that. In fact, they they uninvited Spike in season early in season five, and then uh, she one of the the oh, heartwarming romantic scenes in season five was uh, Buffy casually reinviting him back into the house so that he could help. And and so, if I, it, although that would that would to disinvite uh, Spike would ostensibly require Willow using magic again. Yes. And also, it would require Buffy talking about her problems with her friends, right? And and this is this is a powerful way to both say she needs to break off from her addiction, but also she's not ready to tell her friends, right? Yeah. So in that sense, at least Willow is a little further along the path than yes. Buffy, because Willow, I mean, it took a terrible. Mo- it, it was a moment of clarity, I guess, with her finally breaking down and asking for help, admitting she needs help. And, and and really and, and and this is just real, like Buffy has put up barriers to try to block the addiction to come to come in, but the problem with addiction addiction is that it's it's already in. Right. Yeah. And and, and those barriers aren't gonna work because they're not changing Buffy and she really needs to connect with her emotions and connect with her friends and get help. Yeah. Well said. Okay, man. That uh, we went long, but we had a lot to say about these three episodes. So, yeah, I had fun talking about it with you. Uh, yeah, this was great. Uh, thank you for coming back. Uh, I I don't remember if you've 
are pre-assigned yourself to any future episodes, but um, it's it's been too long. I think the last time you were on was for Bad Girls. Yeah, I think so. Maybe? Yeah, so it's been a while. I, you need to be you need to come back more often. So that'd be great. Um, do you want to let the listeners at home know how they can stalk you if you want to be stalked? Um, on Twitter, my my Twitter handle handle is at rt rtl autonomy a u t o n o m y so at rational autonomy basically that's great that's great <laughs> um yeah and i will uh include a link in the show notes um an amazon link for your when was it released your new book it just came out la- uh, last october okay okay oh so that when i quit doing the podcast <laughs> um yeah so i'll put a link in there for joss whedon anarchist a unified theory of the films and television series by you and your lovely wife and uh i will i think it was off mic when i was saying i didn't know if i had that book because i have so many but uh, i'm pretty sure i don't so i'm gonna have to acquire it now thank you add it, add it to my ever-growing library you should see you should see my desk that i'm recording at right now it is covered with books for this and every other podcast that i do same here yeah so anyways uh thank you again james for coming back it was great thank you and uh thank you at home for listening uh if you find or you can find links not if you can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website conswithdead.com um, or you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. Uh, if you do that, please rate us or write us a review. Help spread the word. Uh, if you have questions for me or any of my guests, or if you'd just like to share your thoughts on anything we've discussed, please join the conversation. You can drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at conswithdead, or reach out to us on Facebook at Conversations with Dead People. Um, next episode, my friend, my co-host on the Avatar Returns podcast, and my co-author on the Delhi Counter of Justice, is uh eric sipple and he will be joining the conversation for the very first time somehow i haven't had him on the show yet uh, he's coming in to discuss episodes another threefer episodes 611 gone 612 double meat palace woohoo and 613 dead things until then gur arg everybody gur arg i've been searching deep down in my soul words that i'm hearing are starting to get older feels like i'm starting all over again last three years we just pretend and